0: Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Let's talk about stress and the way it ruins everything. You're listening to an Amber Day, the Functional Nutrition Podcast. And I am your host, Amber Fisher. All right. So today I want to talk about something that I think we don't talk about enough in the nutrition field, and that is stress and the effect that stress can have on your health, on your body, and particularly when stress is combined with childhood trauma. So full disclosure, I'm a nutritionist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. um, I have no real training in that field. However, I do have a lot of training in functional nutrition and functional medicine, which is a holistic, um, we call that a holistic paradigm. And in any holistic paradigm, we have to look at things from multiple perspectives. We don't look at the body as if it's just this one thing. And like your heart is your heart. And it's just, if something goes wrong with your heart, then it's a heart problem. And if something goes off your lungs, it's a lung problem. And if something goes wrong with your hormones, it's an endocrine problem. We look at everything as connected, right? And so the other things that we think are connected and that we know are connected to the body's health are our experiences, our environment, um, the foods we eat, the people we talk to, the people that are in our lives. So toxicity in our life, can have multiple different levels. I'm sure we've all experienced this before, right? Um, But many of us who struggle with hormonal imbalances have this underpinning of having experienced childhood trauma. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you are interested in that, if you relate to that, I think you'll want to listen. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the science um, behind how this works and what the effects will be. And then of course, like practical solutions, because that's what I'm all about, right? Practical solutions. So before we get started, it's been a little bit since I have uploaded a podcast. And so I want to update you guys on my life, you know? So if you're just here for the content, scroll on, fast forward. Um, But if you're here to know about all the things, then we're going to get into it. I just got back yesterday from a uh, trip to see my in-laws, spend some time with my husband's family. We um, took Calvin up there to spend time with them. So we had a lot of fun. One of the cool things we did was we went to a blueberry ranch. It's called blueberry ranch. Uh, and we picked blueberries and I'm from South Texas and I've never picked blueberries before, uh, except one time when I was in North Carolina and happened to happened upon some wild blueberries, which I thought was really cool, but I love blueberries. Obviously they're really nutritious. Uh, blueberries are one of these cool foods that has a lot of like research behind it. So there was a study that found that if you eat blueberries, um, a certain amount of blueberries, it can reduce blood pressure. let will see if I can link the study for that. Uh, there, we also know that blueberries have resveratrol in them, which is a powerful antioxidant has anti-aging properties. Great for your skin. Um, also by extension, really good for your hormonal health. So I'm a big fan of the blueberry and it was cool because, uh, this was an organic ranch. So organic farm, I guess I should say. So we had, uh, they took us out to these little rows where the blueberries are growing on these big bushes, you know, and they kind of said, okay, you have from here to here and you can pick as many as you want. And we're like, okay, we have the baby with us and he loves blueberries. This is one of his favorite foods. Um, I I would say it's his favorite food, but he ate so many blueberries during the trip that he now has like slightly a blueberry aversion. Uh, but it was his favorite food for a while there. So I said, can he, uh, like eat some of them or, you know, do we have to weigh them first? And they're like, no, no, he can eat as many as he wants. You guys can all eat as many as you want. Uh, It's like paradise. So here we are by the blueberry bush, just like picking away, filling up our buckets. And oh my gosh, it takes so much longer to fill up those buckets than you think it's going to. We were picking blueberries for like an hour and still didn't have a full bucket so I have a lot and now I understand why b- blueberries are so expensive. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we got to pick them. We were just gorging ourselves on them. I was doing some intermittent fasting that day. Um, cause I've been doing intermittent fasting lately. Uh, and I decided to break my fast to eat blueberries. So, and it was worth it. Um, so it was great. Calvin had a really fun time. He liked picking them off the bush and and eating them, you know, and I just thought it was really cool because we don't often think about where our food comes from. We don't think about the process that goes into, um, growing them and what, what a lot of people forget, especially with, with fruits and vegetables and other plants is that part of the price of the plant or the fruit or whatever, um, is the cost of the care of that plant for however long. Um, so uh, some of you may not know, my parents, um, own a nursery, a plant nursery. And I, so I grew up there and, uh, And so, and people don't often understand why plants, which are of course like a renewable resource, right? Well, like, why do they cost money or why are they, why are they as expensive as they can be? And the reason is the care that goes into them. And that care includes water, which costs money and electricity, which costs money and fertilizer and all these other things. So um, we don't often think about the beginning to end process of like how those fruits and things that we eat get into our grocery store. And especially with organic fruits, we often think like, okay, well, why would I spend this much more money on something organic when I can get a larger quantity, um, that's not organic for cheaper. And the reason organic produce is so much more expensive is because when you don't use as many pesticides, you get a lot more, um, you get a lot less volume, I guess. So the plants tend to be like the fruit tends to be smaller, um, but that doesn't mean that it tastes worse. In fact, it usually tastes better. And one of my little rules of thumb with with fruits is like the smaller the fruit uh, compared to like what the what's conventionally raised, like probably the better it's going to taste. So in the case of strawberries, for example, have you ever had a conventional strawberry and then a, a, um, an organic strawberry in the same, at the same time, uh, there's no comparison. Organic strawberries are way better, taste wise, and that ta- that makes a difference because the taste is not just an indicator of like, oh, it has it's more sweet, it has more sugar. The taste is also an indicator that it has more nutrition in it. It's not just water; it has vitamins and and uh, all these antioxidants and polyphenols, all these fun words. So yeah, we don't think about like, why does organic produce cost more? A lot of us are just dismissive of using it because it costs more. And, and I don't want to get into like all the systemic issues today around food access and all that. But of course, that's a huge part of this is like, some of us don't have access to non-organic, I mean, to organic produce. Some of us can't afford it. Do the best that you can. Right. Um, but if you have the means to afford to eat more organically, it is better for your health. Um, it's, you know, significantly less pesticide exposure, not completely, uh, anti like organic farms do use some types of pesticides and stuff. so So you're not completely off the hook, but it's, it's better for you. Um, so I just thought it was cool to see from beginning to end. And one of the little things I was doing was like fantasizing about like, what would it have been like to be, you know, a hunter gatherer family. And like, here I am the, the gatherer, like I'm gathering some blueberries and how awesome would it have been to like come upon a blueberry bush that hadn't been like picked apart by birds and already like foraged by other people just to find, uh, fruit just growing, especially if you've been subsisting mostly off of like meat and things like how wonderful would that have been to find some blueberries, you know, it's exciting. Uh And I wonder like, yeah, what they did with it. And maybe I should do some research on that. But I just think about the little kids and how exciting it must have been to like come upon some, like to have berries in the, in the spring or summer and to like find honey and different things. I just, I don't know. I don't know if any of you guys think about that, but I like to think about that and give props to my ancestors, you know, to all of our ancestors for the hard work that they did keeping the, uh, human race going. That was not easy. So, uh, yeah, here we are. Um, (laughs) so that was fun. We had a really good week. We went up to Chicago as well and did, um, took Calvin to the aquarium. He loved the dolphins and we, uh, took him to the zoo and he got to, we went up, we also went up to Green Bay, Wisconsin, which we, um, some of my husband's relatives live there. And so we went to Bay beach, anyone from Wisconsin, maybe you know about Bay beach and Calvin got to ride some rides. It was just a really nice, nice week. Um, really good to see family, uh, really hard to fly with a toddler, really hard to fly with a toddler I wasn't expecting that because calvin is such a uh for lack of a better term he's a very well behaved little boy like we usually have no problems with anything like that and so we're not really prepared for it and on the flights he had just had enough and i don't blame him i mean it sucks being on flights it's like you know not fun of course it's a huge privilege to be able to fly but uh it's not fun while you're doing it so when we were fl- on the way home we had a we flew from Milwaukee to Atlanta and then we had a layover there and then Atlanta back to San Antonio and uh during the Milwaukee to Atlanta flight he that was it he'd had enough um and he just cried and um we were able to kind of calm him down some but he was not happy um, to the point where, where after the flight was over a couple of the, there were, it was all men around us and a couple of them turned around to let us know. They thought we, we had done a good job, you know, and people don't usually say that as I've flown with Calvin before. And when he's good, uh, they say other things or they don't say anything at all. But when the baby is like, intense, people feel the need to kind of like soothe you and make you feel better that you didn't upset them, which is so nice. By the way, if you are ever flying, if you're not a parent and you're ever flying with somebody who is a parent, just trust me. Like we're having a way worse time than you are. I know it's annoying to listen to babies cry. I used to get really annoyed on planes when babies would cry. Cause I, I didn't know, um, any better, but like the parents are probably mortified there anything like me i mean i just like can't stand the idea of like annoying people on a flight so they were really kind and were like you guys did a good job <laughs> so we're like okay so it was it was pretty intense and then when we got to atlanta he he uh, was way past his nap time he wouldn't nap he fell asleep in the stroller and i literally kept him propped like leaned back in the stroller so that his head wouldn't fall and he wouldn't wake himself up for like an hour, but he woke up and he was just angry from the second he woke up because he did not want to be in the airport. And then when we got on a plane again, Oh boy, he was not happy about that. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because we got really, um, the universe worked it out for us, man, because I don't think there were any other empty seats on the flight, but somehow the seat next to us, no one sat in it. So we managed to get a free like seat for Calvin and, uh, he, he was having a really hard time until the plane boarded and just like, I've never seen him cry like that. I mean, it was really intense. It was really, um, hard to watch. Like even I, I even had like some emergency candy and stuff and nothing was helping, um, But as soon as I was able to like scoot over and give him a seat to himself, he could kind of climb around and everything. All of a sudden he just cheered up and he had a really good rest of the flight. Like he, he had fun. He ate potato chips. Uh, yeah, we made it work and, um, it was really hard though. So we won't be, uh, flying again for a while. I do have to go up for a conference, uh, the, cns cns conference uh soon but and he's coming <laughs> so but that that's gonna be the last time those flights are non-stop so that's nice um anyway yeah i don't i just thought i would tell you guys about that so let's get into today's topic shall we we want to talk about childhood trauma and stress uh why is this important well you know, in my work as a nutritionist, I work with women who typically have hormonal imbalances. And it's something that almost always comes up that at some point I'll be told like oh I had a hard childhood or you know, I was sexually abused or it was verbally abused or something traumatic happened. And this is not stuff that people usually volunteer at the beginning, but it's things that as we get to know each other, we kind of start to talk about. And what I've realized is that it's so common when there are hormonal imbalances for there to be some sort of trauma connection in childhood. And I always wondered why that was like, there's different theories, right? I've heard about like, you know, if you've experienced sexual abuse and if you believe in chakras, like- it it um, messes with the energy of your second chakra, and then that uh, can, since that represents your endocrine system and your your reproductive organs, like it can mess with things there. Um, all these different theories and things that I've heard, and um, and I'm not an expert on any of them. I I do think that there's something to the chakra stuff, but we won't get into that today. Um, but I do, I do notice like a connection there and I've always kind of wondered what more scientifically might be the reason behind that, uh, or at least in the Western conception of, of, um, of things. So well, during my hormone conference, this was something that we did a whole, um, discussion on and I thought it was incredibly fascinating because, When it comes to functional medicine, I'm more interested in the things that have real world impact on my clients, you know? And so this whole hormone conference, we're talking about menopause and hormone replacement therapy and all these other things. And I'm like honing in, waiting to talk about PCOS. And I'm like waiting to talk about thyroid and I'm waiting to talk about adrenals. So why is this important? I think the temptation is always to say, when we're interested in looking at nutrition and biological reasons why people are having hormonal issues or health issues or whatever, the temptation is to look at all of the different biological pieces that could be at play, right? So with hormonal imbalances, we look at gut health, we look at inflammation, we look at... um, we look at thyroid function, we look at potential food allergies, all these different things that could play roles, right? Uh, Nutrient deficiencies. And it's really tempting to just stay there because honestly, in the world that we live in, we could always keep going further and further down the rabbit hole. Uh, And I see a lot of people do this. And this is the point when when some people reach out to actually become clients because they get Uh, really overwhelmed with the fact that they've just drilled deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and down into these obscure diets and um, supplement regimens and all these different things. And they're not making the progress that they want to make, or they're stuck um, in an elimination diet or something like that, and they can't get out of it. So the temptation is to, to keep looking at what are the physical aspects of this? What are the components that, um, That relate there that we still haven't addressed yet. And then on the other side of of things, the temptation with therapy and mental health is to say, well, these are all, you know, my anxiety, for example, or uh, my depression. These are all mental health issues. So they have a core that's simply focused on mental health. I need to look back at my childhood. I need to look at my traumas, all these things. Uh, And it has nothing to do with all these health issues that I'm having. I think that that's the mistake is really that we separate these two things because the reality is that all of this is connected into one person. And so obviously the mental health aspects are connected to the physical health aspects and they probably come from the same root issue. So how do we get at that root issue? Well, we do that by addressing those physical things, yes, but by also addressing the mental things. And that does involve getting a little bit deep into your past and getting deep into your psychology and becoming aware of yourself, your motivations, your uh, pain, the things that you carry, the things that you haven't totally dealt with maybe because they play a role in how the body's functioning. We can see this quite a bit with, with people who uh, who don't like to, uh, or who haven't dealt with trauma, where it becomes like almost buried in the subconscious, and then it comes out physically um, and is expressed as health issues. So I think a lot of us as practitioners have known that this is happening for, for some people, but um, not so much how to to deal with it or how to explain it in a way that gets the person thinking about other reasons why they might be having issues besides just, oh, there must be a new um, food sensitivity or something. Uh, so this is really the goal of what I do is to try to put all these pieces together. And this is one of the big pieces. And so I in my hormone conference, we talked quite a bit about the role that these traumatic experiences can play in our later functioning of our health as adults. And I thought it was really interesting for explaining to people just how important that stress reduction piece can be. Um, so I thought I'd explain it all to you in in terms that maybe are a little bit more nutritional, that we can understand why stress is such a big thing. Um, so basically, the idea is, that if you experience trauma as a child, what it does is it it affects your nervous system to the point where you almost become hyperactivated or hypersensitive. So if you've experienced something traumatic during a really critical time in your life as a child, you are going to take on that incident, and your body is going to be hyper aware of safety and uh, hyper focused on maintaining its um, equilibrium, I guess I should say. And so it'll get very easily caught off balance by different events that trigger that past experience. So what happens in childhood trauma is that it actually changes our resiliency. It changes our nature. And as adults, we find that we have less resilience to stress Stress can more easily send us over the edge, can more easily topple us over into flare-ups, can more easily affect us when we've had these childhood experiences of trauma. And I know what you're probably thinking, I had a great childhood, I didn't have any trauma, like trauma is a big T word, like, you know, I wasn't, you know, this didn't happen to me or that didn't happen to me. We are really coming into an understanding as a people group, About what trauma really means and what things are really traumatic and realizing that a lot of these foundational experiences of childhood can be traumatic even in the context of a really happy family life. Like, even if you look back on your family and think, wow, that was a great upbringing. Like, I had a good childhood. My parents were kind people, all that stuff. You can still have had traumatic experiences and. One of the people that was talking at the conference kind of explained it like this. He said, this is trauma is anything less than nurturing. So if you've ever had experience with a parent figure or um, even a sibling or somebody who is especially parent figures, but people who are really close to you in your childhood, that was less than nurturing. um, You know, these are experiences that can be traumatic. And it's not so much about what the world at large would say is traumatic, it's really about how you perceived it as a child. So if it was traumatic to you, then it was traumatic. Um, and all of us are different with what that what that means. So a lot of us carry trauma from childhood. And I'll say that in the case of hormonal imbalance, a lot of us carry more than just little t traumas. Like there is a lot of connection between childhood sexual abuse and these things. So I think it's important to kind of to be honest about that, that's I'm not saying that everybody has dealt with that, but it's it's a thread that we see uh, and that I definitely see in practice. So I, it's just, it's something that we have to keep an eye on, um, particularly because traumas like that are a lot more easy to bury or to push aside and to not deal with, uh, especially if they happened as children and can make it really difficult um, to, to look at your body in a way of, you know, love and not shame. So if traumas during childhood make us less resilient to stress as adults, then what happens? Well, as adults, our nervous system is connected to our adrenals and our adrenals are these glands that sit on top of our kidneys and they produce stress hormones. They produce something called cortisol. Cortisol is like a stress hormone, but it's also an energy hormone. So you want some, you just don't want too much, you don't want too little. It's important to have it in balance. When we have less resiliency to stress, we more easily produce too much cortisol, which then will send us eventually into adrenal dysfunction. So there's multiple stages of adrenal dysfunction, but um, the first stage of adrenal dysfunction is just some, uh, typically people experience it as some sleep and energy disturbances, like a second wind at night, um, having a little trouble falling asleep, and it, it tends to get worse over time so that eventually you're tired all day and you're awake at night or you find that you're really, really um, energized in the morning, like almost over-energized, but then you crash in the afternoon. I mean, there's different iterations of it, but it tends to get worse and worse until eventually your adrenals might just kind of stop uh, producing much cortisol at all. And that's when we would get into, you know, a later stage of adrenal dysfunction or what some people colloquially would call adrenal fatigue. Now, adrenal fatigue is uh, maybe not a quote unquote real thing, but the principle still stands that the energy loss is, is, um, is definitely real. And I've seen this a lot of times in women. So when we get to those places where our adrenals are out of balance, since our adrenals are so closely connected to our thyroid and our thyroid function, uh, we can easily send that out of balance. Our thyroid is like the sentinel gland for our environment, so it picks up on all the different pieces. our environment, the toxic inputs that we're all exposed to, things in the water, things in our food. It picks up on uh, stress in particular. And any stresses that it's experiencing, especially if those stressful experiences are sort of hyper aware in our body, is going to be more likely to throw our thyroid out of whack. And then that can feed on into um, other things. Not to mention that when our adrenals are overstressed and overstimulated and producing a lot of cortisol and um, we are, uh, or when we get to the point, I should say, when we get to the point where we're not producing a lot of cortisol and we're kind of like living off coffee and caffeine to kind of keep us energized and all of that, we start maybe stealing energy from the production of pregnenolone, which is the... Um, you know, precursor to eventually to progesterone and and estrogen and all that. And so we start stealing energy from the sex hormones, but especially progesterone, Um, and getting into the situation where then our our sex hormones are out of balance and we're not producing enough progesterone and um, we're just all around, you know, like not having a great time when it comes to hormone balance. So it's really important that we pay attention to the way that we treat our adrenals and the way that we handle our stress. And this is where it gets into some tricky territory, right? Because we hear about stress relief all the time. Like I've even said this many times before, like we have to focus on stress relief. We have to focus on calm. We have to focus on like living in the present moment, all these things. But this can be really, really difficult when you've experienced childhood trauma, because like i said you're hypersensitive to stress. So the so things that wouldn't send somebody else over the edge might send you over the edge, you know? And um and so designing a life around that can become difficult. So what's the real solution to it? Um Well, i don't have all the answers, but these are things that i know to be helpful from my own experience and from working with clients. First of all, addressing The things that we still carry. If you've experienced childhood trauma and maybe you didn't realize that it was trauma until now, or you realized it and you just thought like, "Eh, I'm over that or whatever it may be. If you're still dealing with health issues and hormonal imbalances, um, it wouldn't be a bad idea to think about seeing a therapist just to try to work on all of that stuff. Maybe you have resolved it maybe it is completely a biological functional issue. It's definitely possible, but it's also possible that maybe you're not admitting to yourself how deeply you still maybe need to process some things. Uh, And I don't mean to like sound pushy about that. It's just that I've seen that before. So be honest with yourself. We all have to be really honest with ourselves here um, and myself included about what we need to process from our past. So get with somebody who's trained and licensed. Uh, One of the greatest things you can do is something called EMDR. Uh, If you haven't heard of that, I will link below to an article about what EMDR is, but many, many therapists professional counselors, all of that will, they're trained in doing EMDR. And what EMDR can do is, is it basically helps you to process traumatic events through your um, more rational brain. So it helps put things into perspective in a very subconscious part of your brain so that it's not affecting you as subconsciously anymore. It helps you to process old events so that they don't have the same sting that they used to Um, and so that you can put them in rational perspective. And that's really key because especially things that happen as children, they tend to be more in this part of our brain that's a little bit more um, difficult to reach, difficult to process with and to reason with. And so this helps pull it in that direction. So I highly recommend EMDR and getting with somebody who's licensed to do that. I think that's step number one. Um, Step number two is to look at places in your life where you can reduce your stress. Um, If you are a hypersensitive to stress person, and it's feasible for you in any sense of the word, it would be maybe a good idea to find a job that's going to give you more freedom to take more time for yourself. So whether that looks like um, a job that lets you spend more time at home, um, a job that, that, that has good things to say about taking mental health days, or that gives you enough vacation that you can take some mental health days, we all need time to process these things. And when our job is too demanding and bleeds in too much into our boundaries, it really sets us back. Uh, this is a major reason why I started my own business instead of working for somebody else, because I have I'm one of those people who's hypersensitive to stress. And um, you know, I had a conversation with my therapist about um this project that I was that I was working on and running and um and I loved the project and I I liked the people that were involved in it. But the time aspect was really, um, really stressing me out. And it was just taking away from my life in a way that I just, I didn't, um, I couldn't get behind anymore. And so we had a lot of talks about well, what should we do about that. And, and one of the questions she asked me was, well, how much time are you spending on this every week, you know? And she kind of expected me to say, oh, I'm spending, you know, 10 hours, 15 hours, something, I'm spending a large chunk of my time for how much it was stressing me out and the reality was i was probably spending about three maybe four hours on this a week it wasn't that much time but because i perceived it as this thing that i really was overwhelmed and stressed by any little length of time with it was too much and so i made the decision for my mental health to quit the project this is the same thing with um with TikTok, those of you who found me on TikTok, you've probably noticed I haven't made as many videos lately. Well, TikTok was starting to really affect my mental health and drain me a lot. The pressure of feeling like, and I know you guys didn't put this pressure on me. I put it on myself, but the pressure of feeling like I need to make a video every single day and not knowing what to talk about. And then worrying, like, am I talking about things that people want to hear about? And the anxiety around that was so stressful. And so I had to come to a place where I said, I'm not going to completely close down my TikTok because I like my TikTok, um, but I'm going to take a step back from it and I'm not going to let it overwhelm me anymore. I'm going to set up boundaries with it. So I think my point there without ramble is to tell you that setting up boundaries for your life, however that has to look for you, is really key in keeping your stress reduced. I think saying no more is one of the biggest things that we can do for self-care. People talk a lot about bubble baths and, you know, self-care days and um, manicures and pedicures and all these cutesy things. And like, yeah, those are nice. I mean, I'm not going to deny that a bath is relaxing, but the real way that you get a life that is more conducive to your healing is by getting a life that gives you more time more time and more space for your healing and, um, and processing things. So see a therapist, EMDR boundaries. Um, now what can you do on the more physical side of things? Well, first I want to say that if you don't address that other stuff, then, uh, this will not be getting to the root cause of a lot of this. Um, and so you're likely to have maybe some improvements, but not total, um, improvement. But I do still think that there are a lot of things that diet and like herbs and things like that can do to make a difference in our stress responses. And this is where we get into the adrenals themselves and how they function and um, calibrating them with different herbals. Now I've done a podcast on the adrenals before, signs you have adrenal issues and what to do about them. And that's more of a comprehensive picture of how to address the adrenals um, from a biological, physical nutrition standpoint. Uh, So if this is something that you're really working on, and you're kind of doing those other things, but you want more uh, information on like diet, the diet piece of the adrenals, I'd go listen to that podcast. But as far as other things that you can do, um, besides eating well and on time, on a schedule, that's really key for the adrenals. Uh, reducing your caffeine intake is important here because the caffeine uh, causes your body to put a lot more energy into making stress hormone. And um, it also can upregulate insulin resistance, which can make some things worse. And I know a lot of you who listen to this podcast have PCOS. And so it's important to kind of cut back on caffeine there, but you can also do various herbs that are called adaptogens. And what these can do is they can help modulate the stress uh, cycle or they can modulate these stress responses in our body. So if we have a hyperactive stress response system because of trauma that we dealt with, then it makes it really difficult when we do experience stress in our lives, that's going to happen. Like there's no way to totally account for stress and get it out of your life. So when stress does happen, it's hard because we we have these sort of overactive responses. Well, what some of these herbs can do is can help reduce those responses um, and just help your body... Deal better with stress. So there's a few that I really like, and I think it's important to mention that with these, it's it's really best to work with a practitioner on these herbs. Often need to be done in concert with each other to get the best um, the best outcomes. So sometimes it's not the best thing to just take one thing, um, and you know some things might be right for you, some things might not. Uh, but some of my favorites to use are ashwagandha. Uh, ashwagandha is something that I'm a little cautious about with PCOS because it can raise testosterone. Uh, however, it also can really benefit PCOS in a lot of ways. So I kind of take it person by person, but what I love about ashwagandha is it helps just, it's very calming, very calming to the, to the adrenals. So you take it at night And over time, continuously taking this, it can really help to even out your responses to stress. Uh, Rhodiola is also a really good one. And this one I like better during the day. Um, It tends to be more of an energy booster rather than a, um, rather than a, like, bring you back down, but it's really a modulator for stress. So rhodiola um, has some good research behind it. Also some good research behind it, improving fertility outcomes. Uh, So it's a little bit of a two for one. I like to use those two together a lot. I really like certain combination products. There's one that I will link to. One of my favorites is called cortisol calm. It's by pure encapsulations. And I like this product because it combines ashwagandha and some other herbs and things, um, and a really nice formula that's very calming. It's nice to take before bed and it can help improve sleep. And if you're having trouble falling asleep at night, um, or staying asleep because you're kind of getting like anxiety type symptoms, I find that this product works really well for a lot of people. So it might be worth a a shot. Um, um, just to see if it helps you with your sleep. So, those things are important. Other things that are important is accounting for our neurotransmitters. There are certain neurotransmitters that are helpful for reducing anxiety and re- reducing um, our response to stress. So, GABA is a neurotransmitter that we produce that we kind of call our anti-anxiety neurotransmitter. And the interesting thing about GABA is that it's it's strongly connected to um, progesterone. And oftentimes when we have hormone imbalances, we have low progesterone or we're not in balance correctly with that. So we need more of that. When we don't have enough, we're not getting enough GABA either. And so we are having more anxiety than we really need to. So um, if you know, taking progesterone cyclically is the right move for you. And that's something that you might want to discuss with your doctor. Um, that can help a lot with anxiety and stress response. And Progesterone is like a really great muscle relaxant, but there are other things that you can do to kind of like improve your GABA or raise your progesterone levels. Um, Vitex can be an herb that's used a lot of times to help with, um, progesterone and increasing progesterone, even in PCOS. Um, again, you have to be careful with this one because it can raise LH, which sometimes is too high in PCOS. So it's not right for everyone. Um, but cyclically Vitex can help to regulate cycles and improve progesterone in people who are kind of lower on progesterone. So it's something to think about. Um, One of my favorite things to do for increasing GABA is to take passionflower, which is um, a really potent um, natural remedy for making more um, GABA. There's also something called L-theanine, which is a component of uh, green tea actually. And they make little gummies of L-theanine. Um, you can get little supplements of it. And it's um a really nice supplement for just taking kind of like calming things down. I'll link to one of my favorites. It's called uh hundred milligrams of Zen. And it's really nice um, during the day when you're having a stressful day, And, um, you know, something comes up and it gets giving you a lot of anxiety and you don't feel like you're handling it. Well, a little well-placed GABA can help to bring you back down to earth, um, and can help you focus on your stress relieving techniques better. I don't know if you have this problem, but I certainly do, that when I get stressed, I of course find it harder to follow my normal routine of like deep breathing skills and other coping mechanisms that I have for stress. When I'm stressed, it's harder to use those, um, especially if the stress catches me off guard. So sometimes a little bit of help brings me back down to earth and I can, you know, focus on being present and in the now. One thing that I forgot to mention before, and that is one of my favorite um, things that I've been working on this whole year and that I highly recommend working on too is being and staying more in the present moment. This is really hard if you've experienced trauma in your life um, because you may tend to dissociate, uh, which is where you feel like you're not really here. You're kind of daydreamy or um, you're just sort of out of it. You're walking around on autopilot. There are different ways to describe it, but a lot of us who have been through um, trauma Carry that around with us. And that dissociating is a protective mechanism and it can happen uh, more when we're under a lot of stress or pressure. So, uh, one of the ways that I have really been addressing the things that have been holding me back in my life is by working on staying more in the present moment. Um, and That is so much easier said than done. I will probably do a whole podcast on it at some point on my, the techniques that I've been using and everything. But I do want to mention a couple of books that I may have mentioned before, but I think that they're worth looking at. Um, You know, I remember hearing recommendations about books like this and thinking like rolling my eyes, like, okay, this is not for me. You know, this is like woo woo stuff or it's just over the top. It's self-help. I don't get into that. Um, You know, my mind has changed about a lot of that stuff. I just feel like I've gotten a lot of value out of really taking the time with some of these books to kind of take what I can out of them. Does everything apply to me? No, but there's a book that we did in my PCOS group called, um, how to do the work by Dr. Nicola Para. And I recommend that one a lot for figuring out if you had childhood trauma that maybe you don't even realize you had, um, that that's a really interesting book. It kind of goes into, how you may have been raised and your parents kind of emotional styles and how that plays into you. And, um, in my case, you know, the sort of overachiever, like put pressure on themselves, perfectionism stuff, high achieving stuff that uh, a lot of us deal with that. And, um, and there are some reasons for that, that we can get into, um, in that book. So I think that's really valuable um, for pairing with your, Sort of therapy journey, and but the the one that's been helping me so much lately has been the Power of Now, which is by Eckhart Tolle. I'm going to link to both of these below as well. Um, Both of these books, especially the Power of Now, really get into um, how to address these sort of underlying things that we're not addressing. Power of Now is great because it it teaches you a framework for how to stay in the present moment. Which sounds simple, but is actually really difficult. Uh, so I find that following some of the things in the book and just reading what he says about staying present and thinking about things in a different way than I had thought about them before really has helped me. There have been some places in the book where I've kind of like been like, "Ugh, you know, I don't really love that," um, but I've also really loved a lot of a lot of the things he said, and I'm trying my best this year. To stay more open to different opinions, <laughs> which has not always been <laughs> something that I've been great about in the past, I'm trying to just like you know improve my my uh, improve myself. That's what this year has been a lot about for me. It's just kind of like I it, it's been about finding out who I really am, and not who I'm who I am in the context of all these other people who you know I used to care so much about their opinions and how they thought of me. And, um, and it's just not, it's just not important. So these two books have really been helping me put a lot of things into perspective and, uh, coming into my own a bit. So I highly recommend them. Um, I know this wasn't a completely nutrition-y podcast, but I wanted to get this out there because I feel like it's going to help some of you. I know some of you are going through the same work that I am. So wherever you are on your journey. I'm thinking about you. I'm sending you good vibes. I'm really hoping that um, I'm hoping that you make your breakthrough. And uh, if you need help addressing the nutrition piece of this, or you need a partner on this journey, of course, that's what I do for a living, and I am taking clients at the moment. So. Um, It's a good time to get in to try to work with me uh, because there is not a huge backlog at the moment. Summer is always a nice light time. So if you have been on the fence, um, I would not wait until fall. It tends to get crazy. So uh, it would be a good time to reach out now. If not, see in the fall. But I really value you guys. I thank you so much for your opinions and for your questions. Next week, we will be doing another questions podcast. And so look out for that. Um, If you have a question for the podcast, don't forget that there is a link below here where you can submit a question. You can stay anonymous if you want, or you can ask to be notified when the podcast comes out. I am answering all your questions about functional nutrition, PCOS, insulin resistance, thyroid, whatever your questions are. I'm answering them, so um, please reach out and let us know if you have a question. The other thing that I wanted to mention is um, that my PCOS group has now officially closed in preparation for a new venture that I am working on, uh, which is going to be a um, online course with lots of different modules all about PCOS and addressing your PCOS from a functional perspective. I am working on that um, starting now, actually this month, and hoping to have it out in the next couple of months. So um, if that's something that, you know, if you've wanted to work one-on-one but you don't have the means or it's a little overwhelming for you to think about that, this is going to be a great um, middle-of-the-road option where you're going to get lots of deep guidance from me without having to pay the one-on-one price tag. So I'm really excited about it. um, And I'll keep you guys updated. And I think that's it. I hope you all have a really wonderful week. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon. something today, or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it. If you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend, if this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want. And I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time. And I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.